the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Welcome to episode 7 of the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean, joined as always by Paul Gosling. Paul, how are you? I'm fine, Gerard. Good stuff. Okay, so Forward Together, as people hopefully will know by now, is a podcast produced by Hollywell Trust, a community relations organisation based at the heart of Derry. And this is a series of forward-focused conversation, increasing the civic voice and key issues that we face in Northern Ireland. So, Paul, this episode, uh, you met with Alan McBride. Absolutely. And Alan is a well-known voice in Northern Ireland and a victims campaigner and uh, people who know his background, um, a, a widow from one of the, the sad events and the troubles. Yeah, yeah. The shankle bomb, I think it was. And, but Alan talks about, uh, he's got some really interesting things to say. He talks about creating civic leadership and the need to invest in local communities to do that. He also touches on that spokespeople for communities may not always be representative of the attitudes and feelings within those communities. But as a civic forum member, and this is a topic that comes up at time time again, or a former civic forum member, I should say, it brings a really useful insight to that conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. He's very committed to the idea that we do need civic representation as uh, someone who's a working class loyalist from East Belfast. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's from Belfast anyway. He, he, you know, he's very committed to the idea that we need to improve representation of communities that are less well represented within the democratic system. Yeah, and is there other stuff that he goes on to that is worth highlighting before we hear it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, a part of that, again, is that the education system, although, you know, as Alan himself says, you know, is is highly regarded in terms of the outcomes for people at the top end of the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many people, in particular from working class communities and in particular for working class loyalist communities, are failed by our current system and leave school without the basic skills they need and without the life skills. Mm. And Alan makes the point very strongly that, you know, that, that we need to address that take that on but also and this touches to an extent on the education system but goes beyond that we need to have good role models you know that show that people can can emerge from deprived backgrounds to become community leaders to become strong people within society rather than uh, young kids that aren't doing well in school seeing paramilitary leaders as their role models we Mm. need to get away from that and and you know this needs Lots of changes to take place within our society, and those are changes which we've not really grappled with since the Good Friday Agreement was signed. Okay, well, let's hear the interview now and hear the detail of what Alan was talking about. I'm talking now with Alan McBride from the Wave Trauma Centre. Alan, thank you very much indeed for doing this interview. Uh, We'll head straight into it. How do we strengthen civil society in ways that enable us to make progress? I think for me, one of the the big things that's actually missing um, in civil society is when it comes to some of that grassroots leadership, particularly within loyalist uh, working class areas. Um, And I think we probably need to uh, put a lot of investment into areas, the likes of Lorry's Belfast, into the Shankle, uh, into other areas, to try and just to improve the the leadership potential, um, certainly community development potential of some of the young leaders there. Because when I think of civil society at the minute, um, and I listen to some of the debates on the radio, um, I, I think there's a very marked um, uh, just inequality uh, of, of, of even the sort of, the, uh, the sort of debate and the, the sort of issues that people cover and, and the way that it's brought across. And, and, and as, a, as, a, as a grassroots, working-class Protestant loyalist myself, um, I, have a real, I have a real feel for that community. 
and I don't always think that they're best served by the sort of spokespeople that they put forward um, at this moment in time. So I, I, I would like to see other voices, uh, voices that perhaps we haven't heard yet uh, in, in that community. So I think that's definitely one thing that I would absolutely do. Um, I also was a, a member of the Civic Forum uh, when it uh, was uh, up and running. Uh, I think that it was a great idea. Um, I think it had great potential. Um, I don't think that it was particularly well run or well managed, um, but I would like to see that idea come back again. And I would also like uh, for our politicians not to see uh, any form of civic forum or people's parliament, call it what you will, as a threat to democracy. It's absolutely not. Um, in fact, if uh, politicians really tapped into it, it's an invaluable resource for them uh, in terms of just even as a sounding board. Uh, to, to get some ideas, to have a, uh, a proper interface with the community, with, uh, with, with civil society. And so I would like to see something like that happen again. I think the first uh, sort of pilot civic forum that we had uh, way back in um, uh, the early 2000s, um, I, I, as I say, I was part of it. I, I, I don't think it, it, it achieved a lot, um, but not because of the people that were in it, because I think there's some amazing people. Uh, I just don't think it was particularly well chaired or well managed. And are you implying that you felt that the political parties wouldn't leave it alone? Well, the, the political parties never really tapped into it. I mean, the, the, the DUP were anti it from day one. Uh, I mean, that was back in the day, of course, when the DUP were anti most things. Um, so they never saw the potential of it. Uh, the parties that, that probably would have been more into it, or at least it would have given it uh, you know, lip service, um, I don't think did enough. Um, so when the whole thing collapsed and, uh, and, and it, it, it failed, none of the political parties leaving out in a limb to say, look, let's bring back the Civic Forum. Um, that's regrettable to me because, as I say, there's a lot of good people within it. And I think that we got involved in some very good debates and discussions and we would do some excellent papers around things like educational underachievement, things like poverty, um, things like integrated education. Um, but none of those reports ever saw the light of day because, of course, they were going uh, into our uh, executive, into our government, and it was really up to them to deliver upon them. And because you know there wasn't sort of people there that were kind of, if you like, uh, carrying a torch for the for the civic forum, well then they just really were shelved, like like many things here. Um, but I think people that are that are watching you know politics at the moment, and certainly some of the anorak's and stuff like that, would realise that that politics here isn't working. You know, absolutely not. So there has to be a space created. Uh, you know, for civil society to come in and actually occupy some of that space in relation to getting things up and running and bringing forward good ideas. I mean, I believe in Northern Ireland. I believe in the in, in, in the potential of Northern Ireland. I believe that we could be an absolutely fantastic country. I believe that the whole Brexit debate and all of that has poisoned uh, the attitudes of, of, of political parties here and also a relation between North and South and East and West and all of that. Um, so we've gone backwards, uh, regrettably, in the last couple of years and obviously Brexit has been the big spotlight and people haven't really been focused on getting things up and running here and, and that's been a big regret. Uh, but I would hope that, uh, that that doesn't mean that it has to always be like that and you know, we can go forward better in the future. And you're suggesting that we need to empower working class loyalist communities better. I mean, how do you think we can achieve well, that? Well, when I, when I look at, at discussions and debates, I think that that's the obvious gap for me. I mean, you have, uh, e even how they're represented politically, I mean, working class Republican nationalists are, are quite well represented by Sinn Féin. I don't think the DUP and the UUP represent loyalist communities. I think they use loyalist communities um, for votes, but I don't think they really deliver for loyalist communities, and you'll, you'll see that. Uh, certainly where I live and, and in other areas. So I think there's absolutely room for improvement there. Um, even if you look at some of the reports that have come out in the last few years around uh, educational underachievement, particularly amongst working class uh, loyalist boys, 
uh, I think there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues there that are that are coming out of that, and I think there needs to be a big a big cash injection initially, and to maybe um, you know putting together some kind of uh, I mean, I know hubs a big word these these days, but maybe you know, some of the hubs that can maybe go in, and we can maybe look at how we can improve. Just um, uh, you know, taking some of those young people and and developing leadership skills and uh, developing interests in other areas as well, and also letting them see you know what 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 their communities could look like, you know, if they were to move away from uh, you know from the sectarianism and the flag waving and and, and the things that they become synonymous with. Um, I believe that there's a lot more. Uh, you know, right-thinking people in those communities that don't necessarily buy into all of that, uh, but their their voices quite often are not heard because um, you know it's the likes of the uh, the paramilitaries and those that support them that are actually heard the loudest. Um, it's also about inspiring kids while they're still at school, isn't it? Yes, and 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 again, that goes back to the educational underachievement. You know, amongst working-class males. I mean, I I would be an example of that. I mean, I left school when I was sixteen with no qualifications. Well, it's not strictly speaking true. I did. Uh, CSEs at the time, but they were uh, considered to be worth less than an O level, and you had to achieve a very high grade to, be, to, to have a C at them. So it was actually better to tell potential employers that look, I never did exams because at least you know you weren't admitting to having done these really crap exams and failing in them. You know, so so I think we were not not just pals. Of course, that was the case for Catholic kids as well. So we were let down by the education system back then. Um, and I know that you know I've heard people go and champion our education system, and it's the best in Europe and the best in the world at all. I actually think you know maybe for some people that's true, but for a lot of people, certainly people that, uh, in, in communities that I would have lived in, uh, that's not a call the case. So, so yeah, so we have to absolutely encourage young people to and, and give them proper role models to aspire to. And uh, I, I think again within loyalist communities, there's a real shortage of them because the, the role models in some of those communities are the local UDA brigadier or, or, or whatever. And I think they're really bad role, role models, you know. So I think there needs to be somebody within those communities that can actually stand up and, 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 and people can maybe follow and they can maybe inspire and, and move on. But if they don't do that and if that doesn't happen and we're just, we're just looking at generation after generation of educational failure, of unemployment, of poverty, of... You know, sectarianism of, of of all the things that blight those those inner city working class uh, loyalist communities. So, how do we move forward towards a, a genuinely shared and integrated society? Well, I mean, I I've been doing the rounds at the minute, uh, and 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 I've been accused of making it too simple. But sometimes, uh, you know, the, the things are simple, and it's people that actually further complicate them. So, I absolutely believe that the only thing that's keeping us apart at the minute, certainly politically, um, is to do with attitude. Um, I don't believe it's anything to do with the RHI any longer. I think that might well have been the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were. But I think at the moment um, it's very much around around attitude. Um, to be quite honest with you, the DUP do not want to have parity of esteem with uh, with Republicans. Uh, they, they want to live in a very British Northern Ireland, uh, flying the Union flag, where you know there's no real rights for Irish language speakers and, and all of that and for the same token on the other side of the coin um, you know Sinn Féin um, are, uh, or at least they're, they're appearing to be on this kind of anti-British, anti-unionist anti-loyalist kind of journey where uh, certainly if you talk to grassroots loyalists they'll say that they're trying to strip every vestige of Britishness away from local government and from uh, the public spaces and stuff like that. To what extent that's true, I don't know. But I do think that uh, that those attitudes need to be reconciled in some way. And so 
I, 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 I kind of go on talking about this notion of what it means to be a good neighbour. And this was very much inspired by um, by uh, a neighbour of mine, actually, when I lived in a, in a mixed area. My daughter got to be friends with a little couple of little Catholic girls across the street. And one of the night, uh, their father came over and invited me to a barbecue at their house. And I explained that I was going into bonfires that night, because that's what I always did as a Protestant, as a unionist. Um, but he said, look, we'll have the barbecue earlier, and why don't you come over anyway, and so you can leave early. And when I went over to the house, they had a bonfire built in their back garden for me. These are Catholic neighbours of mine in this mixed area. And I said to myself, you know, that's that's what it should be like. Why why, why can't we get to the place where, where where we can share in each other's culture and each other's traditions, where they're not offensive, where we're not burning Irish tricolours or putting effigies of the Pope or, or any of this. Um, and if we could get there and, you know, Arlene Foster and Michelle O'Neill could pave the way. And I've invited them both to come on and bait with me on, on television. They've both declined. Um, I guess there's nothing in it for them that's, that's going to be a win, a win win. And yet for the country, there would be a huge win if they could just get over themselves and say, look, Arlene Foster, you know, I want to show Michelle that we want to uh, welcome, you know, Republicans and nationalists to Northern Ireland. They're part of our community. We want them to be part of our community. Uh, we want to throw out an olive branch. We want to welcome them here. We want to show them that they're, they're equal with us. And so, yes, let's, let's have an Irish Language Act. It doesn't have to cost the earth. We could have something which is, you know, which means a lot to them. Um, and we could put in place protections for, for certain things around the Irish language. And for the same t token, you know, uh, Sinn Féin, Michelle O'Neill might well say, well, look, we're not after your bonfires. We're after your 12th day of July prison. In fact, we want to come and share those things with you. So why don't we put these things together and I mean if people went that up with that, that type of attitude you know about how, how can they please their neighbour rather than how can they please themselves well then I think that we would probably get get on further but it seems to me that it's easier in politics to simply you know state your case and uh, go to your people and to be voted in on your large numbers but you know when people vote in the way that they do they are not voting for uh, for government they're not voting for a Northern Ireland that's going to work they're actually voting for those political parties to hold the line and those parties are holding the line. You couldn't fault them for that. That's what they're doing. They're they are absolutely saying what they were going to do to their electorate. And that's what they're being voted for. So maybe there's there, there's room there for people to vote in a different way if they want a different outcome. Or, uh, you know, should be tempted by saying, look, Arlene and Michelle, <coughs> just do the right thing here and, you know, work together and, and try to make this place work. Because they're, they're not only feeling their own people, they're feeling everybody in the society. Now, the other big issue at the moment is how you deal with the past. How do you think one can do that, and how can we reconcile societies in doing so? Well, at the minute, we have quite a comprehensive suite of uh, proposals um, that we're out for consultation in relation to how we do all these things. Uh, my own preferred way forward would have been to go back to the, uh, I think it was 2009, and the uh, consultative group in the past report, Robin Eames and Dennis Bradley's report, I think it was the best. And I think every time we've gone out for consultation since that, we've come back with something which is considerably less than what we had before. Uh, so I think that this latest, uh, this Dormant House Agreement, and certainly the legacy aspects of that, are probably the last time that we'd go to the people. Um, so the, so, so the, the, the issues are there around historical investigations, around truth recovery, um, around storytelling, um, around uh, all of these things, around relationships with on. The, 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 North, the North of Ireland, Northern Ireland, and also within the island of Ireland. And, and all of those things, where there are names Bradley, albeit in a bit more detail, um, they're still there at this moment in time. So no matter whether you talk for another 20 years, those are the issues uh, that people need uh, to have resolved. And the reason that they're doing this, uh, I think that society needs to keep in mind, is what they're trying to do is to actually draw a line in the sand under all this stuff. We don't want to be going on investigating the past and breaking up the past forever and a day but to 
do that, <coughs> you can't just collectively forget about the past. You have to have some kind of a mechanism that you're able to hang the past on. Uh, I mean, it's happened in countries like South Africa, it's happened in the Balkans, it's happened in Chile and Argentina and Rwanda. All of the countries that have had conflict have had something uh, where they were able to hang their past on. Now, <coughs> some of those, of course, were more successful than others. What we need in Northern Ireland is one that was tailor-made for our situation, and I absolutely believe that what we have at the moment with the uh, Stormhouse Agreement is tailor-made for our situation. And you clearly, Sorry. And, and you clearly believe that uh, part of the process of dealing with the past is to inform young people, young adults, about the past so that they don't repeat the mistakes. Yes, I mean, I, I, absolutely. I, I think that we need to learn uh, from our past. Um, I mean, I was just in conversation there with Peter Heathwood, and he was saying... Uh, about how in, in, in Ireland every 10 years there seems to be some sort of a breakout of violence and, and then an explosion or something bigger and of course we want to stop that pattern happening and the way that we stop that from happening I think is to teach people about what happened back in the past so I think there will always be a role for people like ourselves to come into schools and colleges and share stories about what happened and <clears throat> to help people to see that look violence is not the way forward you know I mean it, it's not Dialogue, communication, negotiation, reaching out the hand of friendship, um, being good neighbours. I mean, these are the way, these things are the, are the way forward for our society. And if we could get to that place, I believe in Northern Ireland would be one of the most remarkable countries in the whole of Europe. I mean, I, I think that we have so much potential here in terms of um, our workforce, in terms of our culture, our tradition, our diversity. Um, you know, the thing that's that's keeping all of that from not happening is the fact that people just don't get on. And that's being led at the moment by politicians. Now, the other big challenge is how we have the constitutional conversation and how we do that in ways that don't threaten existing relationships. Well, I mean, I, the Good Friday Agreement has addressed that, has dealt with that. You know, whenever there seems to be a, a groundswell of opinion that is, that, that is changed and that uh, the whole issue of around United Ireland becomes something that, uh, that, that is considered that people might want, well then, you know, we should go to the country. <coughs> I don't think now's the time. I think there's too many other issues with Brexit, but I do say this. Um, depending on what type of Brexit we have, uh, it might well be that that becomes a, a, a realisable um, thing that we have to consider within the next... A few years. Um, I mean, if people in the south of Ireland are living better in the north than people in the north because of the fact that they're in the European Union, so we have a bad Brexit and all the dreams and you know ambitions of the Brexiteers don't come to pass, and we're actually really ruining the day that we ever left the European Union. And we look across at our neighbours across in the south and they're living better than we are. I think people would probably want to be part of. Of a, of a country which was attached to Europe, and so that whole question of being a United Ireland might well come into the fore. I think that would be the worst nightmare for the DUP, but you know, they've only themselves to blame. I mean, <laughs> they've opened the door for it, um, and let's see what happens. And, and how can that conversation be take, take place in a, in a friendly way which doesn't feel threatening, in particular, to loyalist working class <coughs> communities? I think that um, what has to happen is that uh, those that are proposing in all Ireland have to demonstrate and show uh, people in the unionist community of what life would be like 
living in a Northern Ireland. Um, so I think they, more than ever, have to, you know, throw out the olive branch, reach out the hand of friendship. Um, but I'll tell you that, um, an example there, which uh, doesn't go well for this, uh, around the marriage of um, William and Kate, or was it Harry and Meghan? One of them, I can't remember. The Inn Shown Gateway, uh, and uh, <coughs> is it in Derry or Wanted to have a party um, to celebrate the royal wedding, uh, and they were forced to abandon the party, and I think that was under pressure from Republicans in that community and Sinn Féin. Um, and if that's the type of All Ireland that they're wanting to show their Protestant neighbours with them, it's certainly not an All Ireland that I want to be part of because I am a very proud uh, Ulster Protestant. I'm a very proud um, to be associated with the Union. I don't actually vote Unionist because I'm very much a proud member of the Lands Party, but my, my favoured uh, position is to stay within the Union. But only if it's working financially and economically and, do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you know, I suppose like many people, um, I'm, I'm more concerned with my quality of life than I am with the kind of flag that, that flies over my country. So whilst I'm a Unionist, um, and I, I, I think that our, our, our lot is better in the Union, but that was a Union that was part of a wider Europe. and. Well, if, if that unionism becomes all of a sudden a very isolationist type of a place where you know you've got people harping back to the days when Britannia ruled the waves and all this kind of stuff, it's not the sort of union that I want to be part of. Um, so it definitely has caused me to question that. And uh, if a border Poland said people are, are uh, there's, there's, there's a better lifestyle and being part of the Northern Ireland, well then I would absolutely vote for that. Alan McBride, thank you very much indeed. Okay. Okay, really interesting to hear from Alan there. Um, um, Paul, Ames Bradley was touched on again that this isn't the first time that this has come up as part of this series. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the truth is, you know, although Ames Bradley might not have been perfect and got a lot of criticism in terms of the compensation arrangements, mm. no one's come up with something better. Yeah. And, you know, again, one of the themes in these conversations is that we can't expect to simply repress the troubles and the impact of the troubles psychologically as well as physically and expect as a society we will heal. We need to deal with this. And, and simply trying to bury it and not talk about it simply as a strategy doesn't work okay. in terms of uh, society any more than it does for an individual who's dealing with bad issues from their past. And we, we need to find a way of dealing with it. And no one really has come up with anything better than Neil Bradley. Okay. I find it really interesting as well when Alan was talking about a united Ireland and how uh, we need to demonstrate what that might look like. And again, this is one of the themes that regularly emerges from these interviews, that mm. people are not necessarily scared about the concept of a united Ireland, but quite reasonably are saying, well, what would it look like? What does it mean? What does it mean in terms of British identity? What does it mean in terms of the economy? What does it mean in terms of the health service? And Alan's one of many people that we speak to that says, well, actually, that work needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks to Alan for taking time to have the conversation with us. Keep an eye out for our future episodes through the Hollywell Trust website, hollywelltrust.com, through slowgrowtool.com, and you can get this podcast anywhere that you get all your podcasts. Um, and we look forward to touching base with you again soon. The Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme, 
and core funding programme.